Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Bring the Pain. In case you have forgotten, my name is Cyrus Wayne, and I am coming to you, as always, right here from Radio Fairfax. And woohoo! Man, what a week in the NFL. What a week. Of course, as always, I have to lead off the NFL because that's where all the big stories are, especially the biggest story of the season. Hey, Cleveland, your Browns have finally won a game. Woohoo! Right, right? Hey, you, you know, no one should have to suffer from that oh, that dreaded 0-16 season, right? You, you know, it's good to get at least one win because these guys work so hard and they prepare and the blood, sweat, and tears, yada, 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 and they finally were able to get a win this past weekend. Uh, although now with that one win, the one in what, 14 they are right now, I have to tell you, they are now a lot less interesting to watch. I mean, that is really the only reason I was watching that game a lot this past Saturday. So I was over at, you know, at my parents' house. They, they have the NFL uh, package. So I'm sitting there. I'm watching Cleveland and San Diego for no other reason because I just need to see them lose. Not for any malice against Cleveland. Because there's no reason to have any malice against Cleveland at all. Although, except for the fact that they were getting a little too big for their britches during this whole World Series run and after the Cavs had won the title. So it was nice to get them back down to reality during football season. But aside from that, I have no ill will toward the Browns or the state of Ohio. None at all. I'm just a fan. I just, I'm a fan of consistency. I was, <laughs> I will admit, I was doing the exact same thing for Detroit back in 07 when they were going uh, on their streak. 07 08 was one of those uh, wonky years. And I was cheering hard against Detroit. That was the only reason I was watching Detroit because that was the only reason to watch Detroit that season. Just like this year was the only, that was the only reason to watch them this season. And of course, they beat the San Diego Chargers, which if you follow the Chargers at all this season, even passively, you would know that that would probably be the team they would beat to foil history in the making, right? Because San Diego is one of those weird teams. Early in the season, I called them the best uh, bad team I have seen in a long time. And it, lo and behold, yes, they are still the best bad team I have seen in a while because in typical San Diego fashion, they were in it till the last possession until, you know, they put Phillip Rivers in that position he's been in for a good chunk of his career where he had to drive the length of the field for a game-saving field goal or a touchdown, right? And, and they did. They had two chances to win that game, but because of, you know, it's just how their luck has been this season that they missed Two crucial field goal attempts to wrap this, to uh, get at least a tie going into overtime where anything could happen. Which, if they would win overtime, they probably would have come away with the victory. But that, as you know, didn't happen. But hey, some of the more you know uh, pragmatic Browns fans were a little bit upset because now. They beat. They win the tiebreaker against San Francisco for the number one overall pick. Had they won, 
And lo and behold, San Francisco also won. So good job. <laughs> I, I, so they still have the, So Cleveland is still sitting in that number one slot right now. Right. Although I don't know why Cleveland fans would be excited because let's face it, y'all don't have a good history with these picks or with anybody for that matter. Yeah, you don't have a good history with any of this whole drafting thing, this free agent trading. This entire football thing has not been kind to you since the last time you guys were good, which was back in 2002, where some guy named Kelly Holcomb got you to the playoffs. And that that was an odd season. That was an odd season. I bet some of y'all didn't even remember Kelly Holcomb. I know I barely do. The only reason I do, because that was the last time the Browns were remotely relevant, where they snuck into the playoffs. But enough bagging on the Browns. This was a weird weekend in the NFL. Most of them are, but this one more in particular. Where the three worst teams in the NFL, the aforementioned 49ers, the Browns, as well as the Jacksonville Jaguars, they all won their games, which is only fitting because Saturday is usually reserved for college football. And of course, on Saturday, it'll be the teams with the college level talent that would win games. In that respect, it was only fitting that they were able to win. Speaking of which, the games were on Saturday because we all know Christmas on Sunday. Merry Christmas, everybody. A little bit delayed on that, but we covered that last week. So... All, most of the games were on Sunday with the uh, on Saturday with the exception of two that were in the late and prime time slots because we all know the NBA owns Christmas Day. That signals the unofficial start of the NBA season where the casual fan really starts caring about these things. So all that being said, it, again, it was just weird to have the games on Saturday because uh, I'm not sure about most of y'all, but I'm but I know I barely remember there was football being played on Saturday. It's just one of those weird timing things in the NFL where they come across, well, that Christmas is on a Sunday, they come across the the NBA, that whole thing was weird. Now, speaking of weird, no, not weird, now things are starting to make sense. The NFL playoff picture has gotten a lot more clear. In the AFC, every team has now clinched their spot. Every team is in, and what makes this odd is since 2003, I'm knowing, I know I'm throwing a lot of dates at you, but th- this is fascinating. Since 2003, both super, this is the only time since then that both Super Bowl participants did not qualify for the playoffs. Of course, I'm talking about the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. Now, I, I know I said some things about the Panthers earlier this season, but it, I, I have to understand, it's no malice against the Panthers. I have no issue with the Panthers at all. Uh, again, my issue was with the fans because you, you know in teams and fan bases are in certain situations, they, they handle a certain way, and you can tell the Panthers fan base wasn't really quite ready for the level of scrutiny that comes when A, your team is good or even relevant. And it, it without bagging on the Panthers too much because my, my Cowboys are still alive and I need good karma. I need good uh, mojo uh, for them to hopefully come away this year with the Lombardi. So I'm not so I'm not going to stay on, harp on them too long. The AFC playoff teams, as most of you know, are New England, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Houston, Kansas City and a surprising Miami squad. But really, the, the surprise there outside of Miami is the fact that Houston won the division. And that's only 
slightly surprising because they are in a terrible division. And that that AFC South is one of the worst divisions ever in all of professional sports. It, it just has to be. Uh, th- this past week, Baltimore was officially eliminated when they lost barely. Oh, so that with the catch and the sh- with with the catch and stretch that's now being called by one Antonio Brown, one of the best receivers in the league, in a very very close, hard fought game. That was interesting. So the only thing in the AFC that needs to be sorted out over this pa- over this next weekend are the seedings and really br- breaking down seeding seeding and all the playoff scenarios. That's not really interesting. So I'm not going to go there for the AFC. Now the NFC is slightly more interesting because there's still a few spots left, two key spots: the the NFC North division and one wild card, which. Th- those scenarios are, are are interesting. So right now, the only teams that are clinched, well, I mean only, it's all but two. That, that's Dallas, Atlanta, Seattle, and New York. Green Bay, Detroit, Washington, and Tampa Bay are still alive. Uh, in case you have don't remember how to count, that's four teams left for two spots. Now these scenarios are a little bit interest are a little bit more interesting. Plain and simple. The winner of the, uh, the primetime Green Bay-Detroit game, they get in. The Washington Redskins get in if they beat the Giants in Week 17, and as long as the, the Packers-Lions game has a winner, which, no duh, all they have to do is win. Well, not really, because we've had a couple of ties this year, and we were so close to having a third, if you recall correctly. So there is a very, an off chance where that game can possibly end at a tie, but we're going to assume not. So we're going to assume not just to make this math a lot easier. The skins they win, they're in. Now, if any of these teams lose, Green Bay, all they need to do is have the Giants beat the skins, or it gets a little hairy after that. That's really the best situation that have for them. For them. And Detroit, uh, uh, Detroit's basically they they need to win. <laughs> they they need to win or have the Washington game in at a tie. Long story, very short for those teams. Now with Tampa Bay, I mentioned they were in it, but mathematically, yes, they're still alive. They they there's there's still the chance, but in all probability, they're done. For the amount of things that need to happen for them to make the playoffs is absolutely insane. But since it's the only interesting playoff scenario that exists, I'm only I'm, this is the one I'm going to go down the line with, right? So for Tampa Bay to get in the playoffs, one they need to beat their game, they need to beat the Panthers, no duh. Next, <laughs> this is how bad it is. They need AFC teams to win. This is how far down the tiebreakers the, the tiebreakers they are. They need the Colts to beat the Jags. They need the Cowboys to beat the Eagles. The Lions to beat the Packers. The Titans to beat the Texans. The 49ers to beat the Seahawks. And and, they need all of that to happen. Not either or. They need all of that to happen. And this is where things do not look good for them at all. The Redskins and Giants game needs to end in a tie. (laughs) Better luck next year, Tampa Bay. You got a good squad going. You have a good squad going. And I'm expecting big things from you. But... this just ain't, probably ain't gonna be your year, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna break it to you like that. But one of the man, see, this is one of the reasons why I don't go into 
uh, deep into kind of predictions and, and breaking things down like analytically outside the lines because it, it becomes a lot less interesting. But because we are in playoff season, I feel obligated to do so. Now, one of the one of the talks. So I was driving back from North Carolina this evening. Today is Tuesday, so I was driving back earlier this morning. On Tuesday morning, if you're, you'll probably hear this on Thursday or Friday, but I was driving back on Tuesday today, earlier today, where I'm listening to sports radio on the way back, and one of the things that absolutely irritated me, because it's been the nonstop story for the past couple of weeks, is the Dak Prescott versus Tony Romo situation. Now, I've talked at length about this by virtue of one of, the, one of the bigger stories in the NFL. And two, as all of you know, I am a diehard Cowboys fan, so I'm going to stay. I'm going to hit this point and get off of it really fast. Is with no other team, are you getting this talk at all? Not of not of oh, we're going to rest our starting quarterback so he doesn't get hurt. It's oh, we want to. That's okay. That's a normal conversation that we have every year. But here's where the conversation has morphed to, where it's gotten absolutely ridiculous, where it's good to get Tony Romo in the game so he can knock some of that rust off just in case Dak Prescott gets hurt. Tony can come off the bench. And on my way back driving, I'm thinking, what other team has this type of conversation where we're going to get our backup quarterbacks and reps just in case our starter gets hurt? Nobody thinks like that. If Jimmy Garoppolo comes in the game, comes in the game in Week 17, it's not it's not because they're thinking. No one's saying it's because oh, in just in case Tom Brady gets hurt, we want Jimmy Garoppolo to be ready. No, they're doing it simply to preserve Tom Brady. And you can say that for Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, go down the line. It's all about preserving the star quarterback and the starting players, not getting the backup reps just in case someone gets hurt. This is, I do not recall a situation where this happened now. If something has happened, please, please let me know. I'm dying to recollect here at Cy underscore the great on Twitter and on Instagram. That's where you can hit me up to let me know. But I don't remember that being a talking point anywhere else through the course of my lifetime. But again, I could be wrong. But and before before we go, before we go to the break, one last, (laughs) you know, this set as you know, this Sunday was Christmas which was a big night for a big man dressed in red. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Santa Claus. I'm talking about Terry Poe, who is the Kansas City defensive lineman who threw a touchdown pass in, in a game. And I'm watching this. I go, wow, this is absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen this video, I suggest you go go, go on the internet. It, it's all over the place. It's, it's just amazing. Anytime a big guy scores, it's just amazing. Coming up next after the break, uh, quick uh, more NFL news very quickly, and on to finally, 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 a little bit of basketball. Bringing the pain, Cyrus Wayne, coming up after this. Welcome back to Bringing the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne coming to you from Radio Fairfax. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Cy, C-Y underscore the great. That's T-H-A great. That's the absolute best way to find me. Uh, so a little bit more on the NFL before we actually get into basketball, before we get into the, some of the good stuff or kind of good stuff because it's not football, but it, trust me, it's good stuff either way. So 
<laughs> what is it with these these player legends uh, team going against these coaches, right? Uh, we have gone over the Eric Dickerson and Jeff Fisher saga at length earlier this season, and that was one of the big stories because it was it was juicy and it was just full of drama and everybody just sank their teeth into right what is it with these guys now since that's over eric dickerson has seemed to have won although jeff fisher did get the last lap because he did get an extension right before he got canned so he's getting paid for work he's not going to do plus chances are he's going to you're going to see him on the sideline as a coordinator somewhere before the end of next season so dude's still getting paid whatever right the check's still cash Go fix. Hey, as I told you, as I told you, that's how the world works. Uh, deal with it. But this week, it's been Terry Bradshaw against Mike Tomlin. Now, I don't know what Terry Bradshaw's deal is, but you know, he's never really been the sharpest knife in the drawer. He has a, oh, what was it? Hollywood Henderson said that he couldn't, that Terry Bradshaw couldn't spell cat if you spotted him, the, if you spotted him the C and the A. That's just not, you know, some. Brash trash talk again. You know the the intelligence of Terry Bradshaw is in question in some situations, especially with what's been going on here. Oh, this is good. Uh, he basically has said that, in his opinion, he doesn't believe Mike Tomlin is a great coach, and he goes on and on and on. That when you think about, when you talk about great coaches, Mike Tomlin doesn't come to mind, and he goes on and says he doesn't quite know what Mike Tomlin does and that he makes a great cheerleader, but not really a great coach. Now, there's a, a, a few things there. It, it's fair to point out before I completely before I go into my explanation of why he's absolutely insane. It's also fair to point out that in the same interview that he that he's done on television where he completely spat off with this absolute foolishness. It's also fair to point out that he said that if he had to choose between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, he would choose Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he would, I'm sorry, he would choose Mike McCarthy and get rid of Aaron Rodgers if that was his choice. I'm going to let you marinate on that one. Okay, then. So he said Mike Tomlin's not great, and but he also chose Mike McCarthy over Aaron Rodgers. Now, you compare... <laughs> McCarthy and Tomlin, their resumes are virtually identical. Their their winning percentage is only a few one thousandths of a percent away. A few one thousandths off when you go to the decimal points, just a, a few percentage points difference between the two. They both have a single Super Bowl ring. And but more importantly, Mike Tomlin and his career as a head coach, which includes Ben Roethlisberger either being suspended for some, for you know reasons and injured, that he has not had a losing season in his tenure in Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, Mike McCarthy has had one. He's had one six to ten season while having both Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre at quarterback. I I just want you to marinate on that one to tell you to just to give you a preview of why he's absolutely insane. Now, one of the things that we do, and I'm going to be guilty of this momentarily, is discredit the messenger of, on the message, right? His message is Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin's overrated. He's not really great. So I'm going to discredit him by, I'm going to discredit his argument by discrediting him by saying Terry Bradshaw isn't great either. Uh, in my opinion, he is second to only Joe Namath in being the most overrated quarterback in the history of the NFL. I mean, we could talk about how, the only reason why he has those four Super Bowl championships was because he was playing with one of the best defenses this league has ever seen for its time. 
But consider this, his touchdown to interception ratio, even when you consider that the error, in full disclosure, when, even when you consider that the error that he played in was not passer friendly, was still one to one. In his entire career, he's only thrown two more touchdowns than he has interceptions. That does not speak great to me. When you screw up just as many times as you make the big play. Oh, and by the way, he had a guy named Franco Harris in the backfield who bailed him out in that thing that they call their immaculate reception. And you know the, the Lens one acrobatic catch, one or two, quite a bit. Point is, every Terry Bradshaw highlight you see involves somebody making an absolutely absurd catch. Again, enough for killing the messenger. The, but the one thing that did catch my ear in hearing this story is calling Mike Tomlin a cheerleader. Now, I'm not, disclaimer, I am not calling Terry Bradshaw a racist by any means. But anyone who really objectively looks at these things knows that there are certain characteristics we sign to certain type players, right? In, in, in sports. Uh, for, for example, any Caucasian def, you know, defensive and defensive lineman, oh, all of us, you know, the descri- description that they have is, oh, they have a motor that never stops. They, they have a motor. They have a drive. That's the, that's the verbiage that's thrown onto them. Or any white wide receiver, oh, they run precise routes. They're accurate. Right. That's what you have. A, a black quarterback, oh, he's athletic, it, it, with the exception of Byron Leftwich, who was not athletic in any of the in any stretch of the imagination. But that's why when he threw out the term cheerleader as far as Mike Tomlin, given Mike Tomlin's resume as a head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, where you go, there, there's not too many other coaches you hear that type of adjectives yeah yeah an adjective to describe right so again i'm not calling them racist by any means but again there are certain characteristics we assign to certain types of people in the realm of sports so i'm just saying be, be careful now when you go when you go into these descriptions just be careful and there the internet has obviously weighed in since then because that's all the internet does and the Mike Tomlin, not really detractors, but those who are more on the side of Terry Bradshaw will be very quick to point out to you that Mike Tomlin like really did just take over Bill Cowher's team and won a Super Bowl with what they say is Bill Cowher's team. And their argument is, well, Barry Sw- like, you know, does Barry Switzer get credit for the, Dow- for the Dallas Cowboys team after he took over Jimmy Johnson? And I tell you, yes, Barry Switzer gets the credit for it. But does that make him a great coach? No. But what's the thing that separates Mike Tomlin and Barry Switzer is that Barry Switzer is after he won that championship back in Super Bowl 30 against Bill Cowher, by the way. The Cowboys, their decline into irrelevance in the NFL started that very next season. Mike Tomlin, since he's won that Super Bowl with, quote, Bill Cowher's team, have stayed relevant. Again, not a single losing record has been in position to make the playoffs, if not a championship run, every year he's been a head coach. And that is the difference. Not just being able to take over a team, but to keep them relevant, to keep them good, to keep them sharp. And for anyone to try to take away credit for any coach who's done that, that shows you really how much they know. Again, coming from a completely overrated, mediocre quarterback. Next NFL note before I take this break is Rex Ryan was fired earlier today on Tuesday. 
which is a move that surprised absolutely nobody. We talked about this last week about Coach on the hot seat. Uh, lo and behold, Rex Ryan didn't make it to the end of the week. And not only did they fire Rex Ryan, they fired his brother as well, Rob Ryan, who is the most photographed, most pictured defensive coordinator in the history in the NFL. Right? I'm pretty sure there's about at least seven or eight shots of him every game on the sidelines. For no really particular reason, except he's got those those long, flowing gray locks. That's really about it. That's the only thing that really makes him halfway photogenic. Because there's no other reason to really keep him, <laughs> to keep a camera on him at all times. Especially cutting away to him on a not even mediocre defense. But, you know, and this is where I go into, did Rex Ryan really have a fair shot? He's only been there not even two seasons. Kind of hard to believe, right? He's he hasn't had he's one game short of a full season as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, and he he gets fired just just right there. And he hasn't been bad; he's been hovering around five hundred. But he has I think he's been the cause of his own downfall. He set the bar way too high for that team. He came in, you know, the big brash, bold, huffing and puffing. A trash talking head coach. Yeah, we're gonna play Smash Mouth football. We're not gonna back down from anybody. We're going to win. And that all this other stuff. And it got the fan base riled up. So after two really, really average seasons, he hasn't been bad. Considering one, he plays in the same division as the New England Patriots. All right. So let's consider that as well. Okay. He's been eight. He was eight and eight into last season, and this season he was seven and eight with a chance to finish at five hundred. But the criticism was. With, with that talent that he has on the team, that they underperformed, which you can make an argument for. We have we have Shaden McCoy, Sammy Watkins on the outside, Tyrod Taylor, who no one really knows quite what to do with, and a defense who's okay, not great, but they're okay. Uh, you, you would think that you know they would be in position to win more games. You know, you know they already they already overreacted in firing an offense coordinator over the over the season over the course of the season, all this other stuff, and. Just lo and behold, not quite good enough. And but what appeared to be the final straw in this entire Rex Ryan saga was the game Saturday, where Jay Jai, in overtime, broke that large that large fifty six yard run to put them in position to win the game. It's not only just because that defense let him run for fifty six yards, but here's the nail in the coffin for Rex and Rob on that particular play. There were only 10 guys on the field for them. Like As a coach, that's inexcusable. And which Rex Wyan, to his credit and his detriment, he took full credit for by saying that that's all on him. So when that happens, <laughs> the end is not going to be good for you. So, yep, again, fired 15 games to the season. Didn't even let him finish off like this campaign two two more interesting notes before we take our next break one the interim head coach anthony lynn started this season as their running back coach so after they fired the offensive coordinator which i just mentioned earlier he was promoted to offensive coordinator and now since rex Ryan has been shown the door he's been promoted to interim head coach with one game to audition for permanently for the job man the dude's been on the come up quick 
wow. That's just insane. And second, the second note is, again, Rob Ryan was fired as well. So, which gives him a 15-game stint as the coordinator, the defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, which is a far longer stint than he had as the defensive coordinator for the then St. Louis Rams, who, if y'all remember, in a weird twist of fate or whatnot, that when Jeff Fisher hired him, he was the defensive coordinator for five days before he resigned. (laughs) Read that story. It's pretty hilarious. Coming up next... NBA, 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 some Christmas action, some of the my key takeaways from Christmas action, and a little bit into the CBA talk, as well as my predictions for the college football playoff. Bring the Pain, this is Cyrus Wayne, back after this. Welcome back to Bring the Pain, this is Cyrus Wayne, coming to you from Radio Fairfax. Once again, the number is 703-560-8255. Once again, that's 703 Two five five, and once again, if you try to call this number right now, you will not get me at all. I'm I don't know where I'm at at this point, but you you won't really get, you won't get to me. The best way to reach me is on Instagram and on Twitter at cy underscore tha. Great. Now to some hardwood action. So I keep talking all the time that the official or unofficial start to the NFL to the NBA season I still have football on the mind my apologies to the NBA season is on Christmas Day which there is a full slate of basketball action I only saw not too much of it I really was only paying attention to the Lakers game and the closing moments of the the Cavs Warriors game Uh, that was about it everything else I just saw bits and pieces of didn't really care too much but there's obviously some key takeaways, which I'm going to share with you because why not, right? Good. Now we got that understood. Now, I, I, I don't really understand people who claim to not only watch basketball, but who claim to understand it. It's we've been through this before when the super, the quote unquote super team from Miami got together, how the expectation was they're going to get a championship right away, Right. And those like myself, and and I said this even then, and I have witnesses that said, hey, this isn't going to be too easy because, hey, like, yes, there's a lot of talent individual on the team, but basketball is a very unique sport to where, yes, one individual can make a big difference, but you need all of them to be working together, especially when all of them are used to be the guys for their respective teams. It's going to take a minute to get that chemistry to gel. Right. But no, the expectation was, oh, they're going to win right away. They're going to win right away. They're going to get the championships. They're going to blow out. They're going to blow everyone in the water. They started struggling. Then everyone fell off the wagon very quickly. Then they got everything together. Then lo and behold, those those ridiculous expectations made their appearance. Fast forward to when LeBron came to Cleveland with along with Kevin Love. Same thing. But, oh, guess what? They, They struggled a little bit. Right. Hey, uh, they, they got to work together. They got some things to figure out, you know, basketball wise, personality wise, and lo and behold, it, it took them it took them a minute, but they they ended up winning. Fast forward again, you have Golden State and Deja Vu were in the exact same situation, and what drives me absolutely insane, not just from a sports perspective, but from a perspective, when we, for whatever reason, decide not to learn, especially when we have examples staring us right in the face of why this thing isn't 
what what it's supposed to be or what we think it should be, right? I just spent about a good 90 seconds telling you why the Warriors run to the to the NBA championship is not going to be easy even with the addition of Kevin Durant. And as we saw this past set with this past Sunday on Christmas against the defending champion Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, I'm very careful to not make any bold proclamations off of a one game sample because that's what it is. It's a one game sample out of an 82 game season. But there are a few things about that game that if you're a Warriors fan or just a casual observer, you need to pay attention to. Uh, the first thing is they blew a 14 point lead. That is the first thing you need to pay attention to. They blew a 14 point lead. Oh, there is a very funny headline for, I, I don't know who, who wrote it or for what paper, but the headline in essence was Warriors blow three, one. It, it had three, one, crossed out and said 14 point lead and the in parentheses it said sorry muscle memory which i thought to be funny but anyway that's what should surprise you they threw a, they blew a 14 point lead in that game the second thing that should that should really uh really catch your attention was that steph was benched on that last defensive possession where kyrie scored the, the score what ended up being the game winning shot because if we remember going back to game seven, Steph, as as talented as an offensive player he is, and yes, he's a def- he's a decent defensive player, and a lot of people have argued with me about that one. He's a decent defensive player. I don't think he's as good as some people think he is. And frankly, neither Steve Kerr agrees with me that in clutch situations like that, guess where Steph Curry was? He was on the bench because he was not trusted to make the big stop when they needed him. And lo and behold, Kyrie Irving scored the big basket. So that's one of the things you need to watch out for going forward in this matchup. And third, and most importantly, yes, Richard Jefferson got away with the foul. <laughs> he, Yeah, he got, away, he got away with that foul. Now, as much as I don't like Golden State, just because not, not against uh, Golden State, I'm not really a hater. It's just I hate Steph Curry. So I, I guess that makes me a hater. But at least I'm honest. I just hate I hate Steph Curry. But it goes back to his college days. I'll explain that story sometime later. But Rich Jefferson did get away with the foul. So a lot of Warriors fans are crying foul. Let's see what I did there. But that should not distract you from the fact that they blew a 14-point lead in this game. So one game, am, I, am I saying that, oh, that their championship run is over? No, that's absolutely absurd. All I'm telling you is we have recent historical precedent that lets you know that this is not going to be easy even with a guy like Kevin Durant. Speaking of a guy like Kevin Durant, let's go all the way to the East Coast and we have an older version of Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony. Now, uh the car- the New York offense has been under fire for you know playing this ISO ball that they're playing uh which Melo seems to love. You know, there's been calls to for, for the offense to pass the ball more, to get more motion, to get away from this ISO game that they're playing, to be more, more team-oriented. A a notion that Brandon Jennings has unofficially fallen, has has gotten a board on. Uh, he recently liked a tweet, in which, of course, as soon as an athlete does something, it becomes big news, saying that, hey, they need to pass the ball more. But, of course, this is coming from a point guard, so what what do you expect? Uh, Mellows is saying, hey, stay with the ISO ball, right? 
because he said, uh, and this is a quote, if it's working, you don't go away. From, you don't you do not want to go away from it. To which my response is uh, six, a 16 and 14 record isn't my definition of working. It, it's just not. Yes, they have some other issues that they need to shore out, for, uh, such as they, they had an injury slump a little, little bit early season with with Derrick Rose, and again I, I mentioned with the super teams earlier and and Golden State that this New York team needs some time to figure out how to play together. But when they're playing this iso this this isolation type style of basketball especially when a guy like Carmelo Anthony commits a very crucial turnover in a critical portion of the game, you may want to reconsider what you're doing offensively. That, that's, that's all I have. Now, now surprisingly, I, I am, I, I'll admit, I am positively surprised by the Knicks. They, they're, if you really look at them, and it, it's taken me a while to come to this realization, they're not a bad basketball team. Do I think they're going to win anything anytime soon? No. But with Chris, if Christoph Persingas continues to improve the way he has, and most importantly, as soon as the Knicks stop playing this isolation basketball stuff that they're doing, they can they can be they're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. And I mentioned I was watching the I was actually watching the Clippers Lakers game. I was going back and forth between that and the Broncos Chiefs game. The Chiefs game because they were on the same time. And one, I am absolutely proud of my Lakers for pulling off that win. Yes, even though there is an asterisk that some of you will quickly point out saying, hey, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin wasn't playing. That doesn't count. Well, yes, it does count. I'll take it anyway. But just how that how that offense came together and the the maturation and growth of that team is something to behold. Now is now my only wish is that they start playing a little bit more defense. That's really what I want from them. So that 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 was really a lot of the the Christmas action. As the NFL winds down, we'll, we'll go to more NBA stuff after this very very quick break. Uh, I mentioned I talked last week, teased it last week. We're gonna go into a little bit of the CBA and what's gonna make the next couple seasons perhaps a little bit more interesting. Bring the pain, Cyrus Wayne, quickly after this. Like indie rock or classical? What about soul or sports? Maybe politics? Find your interests here on Radio Fairfax. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. So, I teased it last week, uh, CBA. So, the NBA and the Players Union has tentatively agreed on a CBA. All that needs to be done is have the lawyers look you know, look over it and they, they ratify it next year, um, next month, which take, will start taking place this particular, this, the, in the off season of 2017. So uh, without getting too much into CBA talk, because CBA talk, especially on radio does get, does get very boring, very fast. So I'm going to hit you with the highlights and why I'm particularly excited about this round of CBA negotiations. Uh, first and foremost, that, that you need to be aware of the one thing that I really don't like is that that gap year remains? You know that one and uh, the so-called one and done rule. The NBA is keeping it. That's saying that hey, we're not taking any guys out of high school. You need to do something for a year. If it's go to play for K- Kentucky, so be it. But you're going somewhere for a year before you come to the league. 
Uh, next is fewer preseason games. Uh, that one I'm a fan of because what that does is it allow it extends the season a little bit to where they do don't play as many back to back games. That's where you get situations where you sit guys like LeBron. Uh, back in when Tim Duncan was playing last season, they would sit him on back to backs. You, you veteran players who don't really need all that playing time, like they start sitting on the second games of those back-to-back games. This way, it keeps everyone a little bit more fresh, and frankly, the product better. Because yes, these are world-class class athletes, but once you start playing, once you start getting those stretch of the season where you play uh, four games over, over five nights and what have you, once you get to the third or fourth game, the basketball is not really good. And as a fan, as a fan of basketball, one thing I don't like is bad basketball. So that helps. Low and mid-level players get a forty-five percent raise. So uh, the Bradley Bills of the world are going to get paid a lot more money. 45 percent more, as a matter of fact. Man, life ain't fair, man. It, it really ain't. But what makes this exciting for me, just as a fan of the game of basketball, is it makes it easier to keep star players in their quote-unquote home teams when they become free agents, the so-called Kevin Durant role. You go quickly, as an example, Steph Curry, who is set to hit the free agent market this year and before the season started, because that's what we all do, is we he, we are projecting him to go to back, quote-unquote, home to Charlotte, go to this place, go to that place, and what have you. So under this new structure, he, he can get $209 million to stay in Golden State, or... He can go test the free agent waters and go to another team for $133 million. Now, I don't care how much money you make. I said this last week, and I will continue to say it. That $76 million difference is huge. I don't care how much money you're making. That's a lot of money just to leave on the table just to go somewhere else. Especially as much as I may not be a fan of the Bay Area personally, it's not a bad place to live when you come to think about it. And you're going to need that extra $76 million to live out there because it is expensive. Just saying. But one of the interesting things that outside of player movement and boring stuff that caught my eye in this round of CBAs is that there will be a hotline. Yes, a hotline for players to call their union to critique officials. When I heard this, I said, oh, this is like a suggestion box. You know, we, we all have these suggestion boxes. And we've run across them at some point in our lives. And we know those do nothing. That's why I call it a suggestion box, because nothing's going to happen. They're going to call this hotline. They're going to complain and complain, but nothing's going to happen. So why bother? I guess it's a way for Adam Silver to pacify the players. Eh, go figure. Coming up next, bowl predictions. When I say bowl predictions, I actually mean the important bowl games that feed into the college playoffs. Bringing the pain, this is Cyrus Wayne, back after the short break. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. You can find me at Twitter and on Instagram at Cy underscore the great. Man, I had a nice, relaxing Chris, Christmas holiday. It was, it was a, I was down in North Carolina, just relaxing, chilling, you know, uh, spend some time with the family, a few relatives. It, 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 was, it was just fine. I, I hope all of you had just an enjoy, just as an enjoyable Christmas holiday with your family, your friends, uh, wherever you may be. Uh, New Year's is coming up. I'll, I'll we'll be out again, but don't worry. You'll you'll still you'll still hear my voice in some capacity one way or the other. So 
Uh, I'm going to say this now. Happy New Year. I'm going to say it again before I close the show. Happy New Year again. Which means I'm going to say it three times. But moving on. College college football. So I made a bold pro- proclamation last week that I was going to refuse to watch any of these bowl games. And so far, I have held true to my promise because I am many things, but I try to not be a hypocrite. Even my North Carolina State Wolfpack in their complete bludgeoning of Vanderbilt last night in the, what was it, the Independence Bowl? Again, bowl game that nobody cares about. It was two 6-6 six and six teams. Uh, unless you were an alum of those two teams, you did not care about the game. Even as an alum of those of one of those two teams, I did not particularly care about that game, mainly because we still kept our coach, which I'm still pretty salty about. But that's neither here nor there. I did keep track of the game, however, so I wasn't completely cold about it. I just wasn't going to dedicate three hours of my life to to watching that. And it's a good thing I didn't because, again, 41-17, it wasn't really a good game. But I digress. So the bowl games that matter, Bama, Washington, Clemson, and Ohio State, they will match up this this upcoming weekend on New Year's Eve, which is one of the dumbest things I have ever heard in my life. I... If I if I was on the air, if I was on the air last year when, when this was announced, anyone who's anybody or you don't have really have to be anybody to know that that would be a bad idea. This is where all the thinking heads of college football got too big for the britches and saying, "Oh, we're going to create a new we're going to create a new New Year's Eve tradition. We're going to put college football on New Year's Eve," neglecting the fact that hey, even your hardcore college football fans have things to do on New Year's Eve. Right. It, it's a larger social thing that happens that you just don't do. But, hey, to college, uh, to college football's, you know, uh, credibility or in this case, not really credibility. They tried anyway and failed. So they said, OK, that was bad. We're going to not have games on New Year's Eve, except for this year, because, well, contracts. <laughs> so uh, but they're also helped by the fact that New Year's Eve falls on a Saturday this year. And they move the games to a three and te- seven time slot. So by the time the seven o'clock game ends at at what ten about ten fifteen e- uh, ten fifteen ten thirty Eastern time, there'll still be enough time for you to go to enjoy your New Year's Eve festivities. But uh, again, I probably will not be watching the seven o'clock game anyway. I might catch the three o'clock game, but the seven o'clock game probably not unless I'm somewhere and where and they have they conveniently have the game on. But all this to say that it's an absolute terrible idea. So I would spend this time breaking down the, the games, but I, I hate one of the things I, I hate. And if you listen to this, as you start listening to this, you will notice a theme that I hate a lot of things. I try not to be a negative person. So I'm, I'm personally trying to reconcile that myself, but I, I hate a lot of things. A lot of things irk me. And one of the things that irk me is prediction radio. Now I do by picks, but I don't go into too much analysis because analysis are crazy. But I like to give you the picks because that's more entertaining, especially when I'm wrong. And a lot of you, as some of you have who listen to this, call me out when I'm wrong on these things. So that's why I do it. Uh, so here, here's where here's where I stand. Uh, Bama, Washington. Bama has way too much talent. Washington has not been really been in this stage. I think the stage is going to be too big for them. And I and like, yeah, that's even more useless analysis. Right. But when you go to the press conferences of the coaches in question, 
Chris Peterson and Nick Saban. Nick Saban says, hey, this is a business trip. We're here to win a title, nothing less. Meanwhile, Peterson's approach is, hey, you know, these kids, we're happy to be here. Oh, golly gee, wow. Uh, We're just hoping these kids have fun and let's make it happen. So just listening to the tone of the coaches, players typically take the personality of the coaches. Bama has way too much talent. They have the experience. They've been here just last year. They know what it's like to lose in a situation like this when they lost to Ohio State a couple years prior. So they're so Bama's just going to roll. <laughs> Again, see what I did there? They're, so they're going to win this game on New Year's Eve. Clemson against Ohio State. Now, Ohio State's a team that I kind of root for because I like the way, the style that they play football. And Clemson, I just absolutely hate Clemson. But I And they've had way too many close calls for me to really believe in them. But even with my biases aside, I'm still going to pick Ohio State because they've proven that they are good in these spots and they haven't had as many close calls as one Clemson. And, I'm, and yes, I'm still kind of salty about that Clemson game where NC State let them go. But that's not. But that's neither here nor there. Ohio State's going to beat the Clemson Tigers, so the, the championship game will be set at Alabama against Ohio State. Nick Saban, Alabama, way too much. Even with a true freshman quarterback who's going to make true freshman quarterback mistakes, but there's way too much talent on the Bama side for Ohio State and J.T. Barrett, whose that passing game has declined for whatever reason. This season, Bama's going Bama's gonna to win another national title, and we're going to enshrine Nick Saban in another Hall of Fame somewhere. That's just the, that's just that's the way it is. Anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. New Year's holiday coming up. You, if you're listening to this on Radio Fairfax, there will you will still hear me in some form form or capacity. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, there will be one week. I, I may do probably not do it exclusive, but we'll we'll see there about the year in review, things that got right, things that got wrong. I don't know. Probably not. We'll see. Anyway, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. Happy New Year to you and yours. May 2017 be better than 2016. And really, at this point, that's not really that hard to do. Happy New Year, folks. Bring the pain. Cyrus Wayne. See you in 2017.